Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Economy 99. If this is your first episode, I'm glad you decided to come by. You can follow me on Twitter at Economy99Pod. That's Economy99Pod. Or write into the show by email. Uh, that's at Economy99Podcast at gmail.com. It's uh, Economy99Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. If this isn't your first, well, welcome back. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about communism and why it's not really the economic magic bullet that it some circles seem to think it to be. Um, so, first I really want to start off with some clarifications of terms, if not a glossary of sorts for this episode, because, well, um, the, there's a lot of, uh, I don't even want to say misuse, uh, because it's not, not technically, like, people can have different definitions for, um, especially because some of these terms have evolved quite a bit over the last, um, you know, 50, 100, 120 years. Um, so I want to spend a little bit of time uh, going over what the what I qualify as each kind of cla- classification of uh, the economic spectrum. Um, so first, I want to start with the the wildest of wests as far as capitalism goes uh, in the laissez-faire model of capitalism, uh, meaning that government doesn't really have any uh, impact on. They don't regulate the economy in any way. Uh, they don't really do anything uh, as far as um, intervening, monetarily speaking. Uh, it's just purely, uh, we'll leave you be and everyone uh, will you know, do as they please and the market will sort everything out uh, in the end. Now, that's not really done much of anywhere um it was tried a couple of times and and not necessarily wholeheartedly tried um mostly kind of people use it as a as a term to describe a an ideal more than an actual practical uh achievement or a work towards something that they're they're working towards so it's really more of a an ideal rather than a, a practical thing. But uh, the next one down from that, and then we're kind of taking a big leap because there is some, like obviously there's some, some uh, if, you know, if they really like lie on a spectrum and we're kind of just hitting the midpoint, uh, the, hitting the big midpoints where a lot of uh, countries land and a lot of uh, viewpoints land, trying to simplify it a little bit. So uh, the next one down being regulated capitalism, and that's really just capitalism, but we've decided that letting everything, letting the market sort everything out isn't going to work, so we're going to regulate some things. Uh, What that looks like and how much regulation is up to whoever is making the regulations and whatever system they're using, but that's for the most part what's happening is it's we're letting market forces determine things 
but we've got regulations in place to um to sort things out now this is a this is going to be a contested term and this is kind of why I wanted to this is the main reason I wanted to do a, a clarification on how I'm going to be using these terms throughout the rest of the episode because socialism is a very contested term um uh, mostly because socialism and communism were essentially the same thing for a while but have split uh into what some people would call democratic socialism which is essentially uh we yes it's a, a socialist economic policy but with uh but done through a, a, a representative republic or a, a democratic uh situation rather than through uh well I'll get to it later but rather than through any other form of government essentially uh so that's really where socialism I'm going to be using the term socialism at uh it's not the same as communism they're two distinct uh ways of thinking so it's it's uh socialism is um essentially the like would essentially fall under the idea of we've got a social safety net and uh economic uh programs of wealth redistribution so that you know people in some you know the people in our society with the least get a little bit more because the people in our society that have a lot have more than they need and that's kind of the idea around socialism and democratic socialism um but i'm just going to use the term socialism because functionally it's the same thing uh all the and and i think democratic socialism is one of those things where the the style of government doesn't really matter um because the i like the idea behind it is more the economic policy of it rather than the the what kind of government is in charge of it but that it's still there's still free market aspects and it's still largely a free market economy but there are wealth redistribution tactics used uh essentially to try and improve social welfare and to um try and account for uh the social well-being of citizens as well as uh the financial well-being because you know those those don't necessarily always line up and the different parties involved uh sometimes there are factors involved that that uh prevent that being optimal so in the last term is the one that's largely important for this episode and that is communism now communism for the purposes of this is going to be kind of the classical communism in the term in the sense of we've got our resources and we're going to equally distribute those resources that we have as part of our uh you know large group uh and and we're going to equally distribute those among the uh among the people that are part of our societal group and equal being kind of a relative term like relatively equal obviously to hit perfectly equal is 
kind of outside the laws of practicality. So I'm going to give some wiggle room. But that's the that's the overall goal is to hit a hit a, as even as possible. So I'm going to expand a bit further because I want to talk about kind of the uh, the original spawning uh Karl Marx ideas. Now this is in no way an exhaustive list or even really all that well researched. So uh it's more just a framework to kind of understand the rest of the 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 issues and the the framework rather than uh a, like an exhaustive history lesson on uh the exact policies of Karl Marx. So, um I mean the defining ideas really come down I mean if you see part of it needs a historical context of the industrial revolution and the kinds of um let's just say shitty work conditions that people were living in uh the average worker there wasn't a lot of because all of these industries were brand new and uh no one really knew what to do about it uh the the people owning the factories had basically wholesale uh whatever they wanted the workers to do they were going to do it and there was no child labor laws so you had kids you know crawling through coal mine shafts to pull coal out of these mines uh and you know getting hands stuck in textile mills because the machinery wasn't super reliable so you know it's not an ideal scenario uh, to say the least, and that's obviously uh, where you would see uh, a lot of pushback on the kind of what was seen as a degrading of society, um, and so this is one of those ideas on how that might happen, but I think part of it needs to be uh, acknowledged that the context of the the context of the idea really comes from uh before there was really the impetus and the amount of regulation in favor of workers rights than there is today uh and even dating back even further um so that's an it's just an important thing to keep in mind but uh, essentially boiling it down to the most basic here's a uh, and I here's what the kind of impetus for this is: is that so with a with with I guess the cynical reading of the capitalist model, you've got business owner business owners are titled as the job creators, and therefore they're the uh, the people creating wealth in the society, and so the workers are benefiting from the the wealth created by the business owners and uh not just that but it's also that basically the 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 business owners are the ones that are uh creating the wealth for the workers so that the workers are essentially like owed or are are they owe to the business owner for the the ability for them to to make money and to live in uh 
the the standard of living that they live in now. Um, one would argue that especially when uh, Karl Marx was writing, that wasn't really all that much to be excited about, so uh, that's a bit debatable, but his idea was really that it's actually the other way around. That without the workers, the business owner would have nothing to... They would, ha they would have no ability to produce anything, and therefore would have no wealth. So the, um, the workers um, are the ones creating the wealth for the business owner, and therefore are just as important as the business owner themselves, and like all the management and upper types uh, that are undoubtedly making a whole lot more money than the average person uh, putting the thing together or making the textiles or uh, mining the coal and whatnot. Um, now I'll get into why that's kind of, if the, if the business owner creating wealth for the workers and the business owner being more important than the workers is the cynical read of capitalism, I'll get into why this is kind of the cynical read on the other side, um, and that somewhere in the middle is probably where the, the truth is, as usual. Um, I'll get into that later, but I'll detail uh, the rest of the idea here. So, as a, as a byproduct of this view, this cynical capitalist view of um, uh, the, the wealth being created by the business owner, and therefore the business owner is more important, this then uh, causes workers to be undervalued. And then, obviously, the, the inverse is also true. So, the business owner is overvalued. So, uh, this causes uh, basically a an unoptimal social condition for the workers because they're being undervalued. So, the idea then being, we need to overthrow this system because it, you know we can't improve it when your fundamental underlying assumption is wrong. So, we need to get rid of it. And this usually involves uh, some form of violent uprising, um, although it doesn't necessarily have to, but that's kind of reading between the lines, uh, in a way. So, now, uh, after that, the idea is, now you can put everyone on a level, now everyone is equal, but in order to get to that le level point, where everyone is equal, you have to have some sort of transitional government put in place. And through the nature of this resource distribution that you need, it has to be um, fairly comprehensive, meaning they control all, if not most, aspects of. Uh, industry, wealth creation, regulation, uh, and then, as I will discuss later, this doesn't tend to lead well towards the relinquishing of that power once that transition government has been set up in order to serve um, the, the transition to everyone is, uh, is treated equally. So, uh, you know, not to be, uh, unbalanced, I'm going to go through a bit of the pros and cons. 
and uh, and after that, I'm going to be unbalanced, and I'm going to tell you why the cons outweigh the pros. Um, so on the pros, you've got, I mean, theoretically, uh, no one lacks resources. Now, I say theoretically, um, because it, you know, uh, it is theoretical, and I'll get into why that might not necessarily be true later. Uh, and then. Uh, in addition, everyone exists on a level footing. So if you, for whatever reason, aren't, uh, aren't able to achieve uh, the same kind of positions that someone else might be able to achieve, that's not necessarily your fault. And so um, this is kind of an acknowledgement of uh that's not necessarily uh the fault of the the person but the fault of some other system um and and then so we shouldn't necessarily be treating these two people differently because uh just because they're able to do something that uh in a capitalist market would be paid more than someone else that's not necessarily the the um the truest uh, reading of it. And I, I think this is the point that really makes it the most attractive to people uh, because the, you know, I, I can fully understand the, the um, dislike of seeing people with fantastically more than you do uh, wealth-wise and resource-wise, um, and, and not to mention that, but also people who are in those positions because of uh, factors that weren't really of their own doing. Uh, and so I think that's where it really, you know, that's the point that makes it the most attractive um, to people look that, you know, are, you know, genuinely usually dissatisfied with the, with the, some aspect of their economic existence. So it's understandable that this would then be an attractive option. Um, so uh, I have some more pros here, though, as well, uh, that are probably le a little bit less. That was really the, the big one. Um, so you have ground-level workers valued the same as upper-level management. Um, from the, this is obviously an extension of the, the idea that that uh, the workers are really the ones creating the the wealth, um, so everyone's valued the same. And then it also technically eliminates monopolies, um, and like it definitely counters externalities, because when everything's so an externality can't really happen when nothing's external. Um, if everything's run by the government, it's impossible for one company to be negatively impacting another company's ability to operate because it's all technically part of the same organization. And, it, and in the way that it eliminates monopolies, it does then actually create all monopolies. So everything's a monopoly because it's all run through the same system. Um, so it, it's true, and it's also not true. Um, it just... 
at least with the monopolies, it's the government. Although that might actually be less, uh, that might might be more concerning depending on uh, your perspective. Um, and then also, it allows the government to strongly regulate um, because they're not impacting other businesses; they're impacting their own business. But um, to to jump into the con list that does work both ways because if you are the one setting the regulations and you are also the one doing the things you might not set the regulations uh in a way that will uh harm your own operation because you're the one regulating now that's technically only an issue if you exist in a uh, authoritarian style of government where, I mean, it's an issue no matter what style of government you have, but if you got into the perfectly level uh, ideal of communism, that wouldn't really be a problem um, because of the fact that, you know, you're really the fundamental idea is that uh, social welfare is more important than economic welfare. Um, and, and so you would have, you would be factoring that into regulations, but the, you know, when, if there is a small number of people making these decisions, no matter what, you're going to end up with a situation, uh, where if you're regulating yourself, you're probably not going to do what's best for everyone. You're probably going to do what's best for you. Um, and social loafing is a huge one, but I'm going to talk about that in its own separate thing because it's not necessarily a conf- concept that everyone, I mean, everyone kind of intrinsically understands this if you've ever worked with a group, but it's something that um, needs a little bit of explanation. Uh, and then authoritarian governments is, uh, as I talked about with the transitional government, the the you're not necessarily in a great position when you have a group of people that control every aspect of society and then suddenly you tell them, hey, but you should really hand that over because the whole idea was that we're going to, you know, live all equal and we're all going to be happy. Uh, That doesn't tend to work out all that great. Um, At least historically it hasn't. Um, So you're not going to have a lot of... uh, you're going to have a lot of situations where they don't get past the government that controls everything to transition it into um, equality land. Um, The other one, uh, you have a lack of incentives. Uh, And this is specifically with things that are unpleasant jobs or uh, difficult jobs that take a lot of... uh, work to get proficient at uh, if you if you can do you can get the same amount from uh, not really putting in a lot of effort um, this the the tendency the large overarching tendency is to do the less difficult thing because um, from a just from a basic biology perspective the organism that 
does way more stuff than they need to to get food is probably not going to last very long because they're probably going to burn all their calories before they actually get their food. So it's a uh, it just kind of intrinsically makes sense that that would be the tendency based on the fact that we survived evolution. Um and then it also what it then means is you then have to force people into doing into doing jobs that they don't want to do, which goes back to the authoritarian government thing, because you don't have a way of incentivizing them to do it. Um, and I'm not making a value judgment that forcing people to do things, the government forcing people to do things that they don't want to do, whereas versus setting up a a system that creates monetary arbitrary monetary incentives to uh, force people to do shitty jobs. I'm not necessarily making a value judgment on which one's a better option. Uh, it's just a thing to keep in mind. Um, and, and there's not as many incentives for uh, cost reduction and manufacturing efficiencies uh, because you're not competing with anyone. Um, and theoretically, the, the government will care, but it's one of those things where it's not, there's not as many intrinsic benefits. So... Uh, you're not going to work as hard. Um, now, I will say that that's probably less important than it had been in the past because we've kind of gotten to a point where there the the improvements in manufacturing and, and basically, so the way I look at it for is a good. Uh, about as efficient as it's ever going to get. Um, the way I look at that is, do you have a close to or actual perfect competition in the market? Meaning, are the generic brands of a thing about as good or exactly as good as the brand name goods of the same type? Because um, if they aren't, that means that there's still advances and and I mean sometimes it's even just like the quality of the components so it's not it's not a perfect measure but it's usually pretty good um because sometimes it's yeah it's just cutting costs in um in like materials but it's a it's a decent measure for uh whether something has kind of flattened out and there's not really that much advancement to go um like you would never have a, a generic brand smartphone that was as good or better than an iPhone. It's just not something, because there's still so much advancement in that field, but if you bought generic soap from a no-name brand soap, or you buying name brand soap, the quality difference is not that high. They might just be using some fancier ingredients. Um, and, and that's, so that's not necessarily manufacturing efficiency stuff. That's purely spending more and then charging more. So you're not getting a better quality good for the same price, which is when you have manufacturing efficiencies. Um, at least most typically it's from a technology improvement and a, and an efficiency improvement rather than a, like a, if you're getting a better quality good for a more expensive price, that's just 
they spent more on the raw materials in the beginning, and there's probably going to be a whole other episode on that. Um, but probably not. Anyways, to get back to social loafing, social loafing, if you've ever done a group project with anyone, or you uh, have a job where you work in groups a lot, or, I mean, basically anytime you work with other people, uh, the uh, there's almost always that one person that figures out that if they don't really put in that much effort, they're still going to get the same output as everyone else in the group. Uh, usually because, uh, basically, it would it in group work it tends to be very difficult to suss out who uh put in the most effort, who put in the least effort, and everyone just kind of gets the same end result that everyone else got. Uh, so there's usually that one person who figures that out and doesn't do as much work as everyone else because they know that they're going to get exactly the same as what everyone else is getting. Now, it's not a huge problem in a one-off. A one-off, you can usually get away with because everyone else is going to put in the effort. The problem comes from when that's not a one-off. Because when it's not a one-off, then everyone else goes, yeah, that, that one guy, he didn't really do all that much. So we're not really going to do much this time because, like, you know... If I get the same as that guy, I don't want to put in more effort to get the same as the other, you know, person that didn't really do all that much. I'm just not going to do anything. So then, you know, more and more people decide to put in the same amount of effort as the social loafing individual. And they all, uh, you know, reduce their output. Now, what this causes is a reaction that then where theoretically uh you're better off um to this is basically the ex the other end of trickle down where trickle down is the problem of assuming that resources given to the top people is going to work its way down uh and then while you might have a smaller chunk of the percentage wise you have more in total because you uh, because the whole pie is bigger, basically. This causes the opposite problem, where you might have a bigger chunk proportionally because, you know, in the distribution effect, there everything's being distributed evenly. The, the, the thing distributed is so much smaller that you actually have less than what you started out with. And... Both examples are not theoretical. You can find examples. Uh, AKA, look at reality now and look at the uh, Soviet Union. Um, those are great contrast examples of how trickle-down fails and how, while you might be getting a higher percentage of the pie, the pie can shrink a whole lot when not a lot of people when everyone sees that other people aren't putting in that much effort, and so why the hell would I put in a whole lot of effort to get uh, the exact same amount as, as the other person? But the problem with that is it's kind of a false logic because then it actually does reduce output, um, and then everyone ends up in a 
not great situation because there's not much to go around. Uh, and it's most stark with farming. Uh, at least it has been in the past. The a a very a very easy example to understand because it's uh one of those things where people notice when they don't have food, they notice pretty quick. Um. So, moving on from that, the uh, in addition, they've got uh authoritarian control, uh, kind of weaved into the framework because at least to the best of my knowledge and the vast majority of examples, uh, are always some form of authoritarian government. And part of that is because you can't redistribute resources without a strong central authority to do the redistribution of. Um, it's theoretically possible that there would be a technological solution at some point in the future to this problem, but that would essentially just be offloading the authoritarianness from uh, people to some form of AI, which is probably scarier to most people than, like, rather than being more comforting, it's probably scarier to most people. So, not sure we want that. Um, and then because the central authority is the one distributing all of the resources, this is where you get into the situation where everyone's corrupt, everyone's abusing the system for their own personal gain, because if I'm the one controlling the flow of money, and everyone else is bringing that money to me, well, are they really going to notice if a bunch of it disappears? Because what's a lot to one person is not really all that much when you spread it out over millions of people. So you end up with this abuse of the system by the people controlling the distribution of the resources. And because that then happens, you then need a way of maintaining the control because all of the people, they just had a revolution. And that revolution was to get rid of this kind of bullshit where I'm the person working in the factory, not really doing all that well, and some jerk in some tower is, uh, you know, driving his uh, super expensive, uh, well, I mean, driving, they wouldn't have been driving in the Karl Marx days, at least not in the early Karl Marx days, but uh, you get the idea. You know, they've got the limousine taking them to their fancy dinner party, and you're schlepping in a line for uh, a loaf of bread. Um, so the, the then tendency is to go, well, um, I know the revolution didn't work out too great the first time, but anything might be better than what this is. So, in order to maintain, maintain control by the people benefiting from it, um, they will uh, implement a new system called shooting anyone who gets out of line. And it's a great system for keeping people in line. Uh, usually ends up breaking down because at a certain point you've shot too many people or sent them off to gulags or done whatever with them. Um, but works out for a while. You can usually keep people in line for long enough. Now we have great systems. We don't even have to shoot people. Now we can just 
give them social credit scores and, you know, keep them in control that way. Pretty fantastic stuff. So now technology has enabled a whole other level of uh, keeping people in line through using other people to pressure people to stay in line. Uh, pretty wild stuff. Um, but that's the kind of thing that ends up uh, happening when you're the one that controls the central uh, core of resource distribution. And another factor leading to why this tends to lead to the kind of authoritarian stuff that you see in these situations, uh, what you end up getting a lot of the time is, um, well, the kinds of people that are going to lead a revolution and like successfully lead an actual revolution that actually overthrows a government, not usually the kinds of people that you want Altru that are capable of altruistically leading the kind of government you're hoping they will do. Because they're probably an egomaniac. I mean, that's, I would think, the kinds of person that would uh, take control of some sort of large-scale revolution to overthrow a government. Probably not the humblest and uh, most altruistic type of person. Uh, so then you have this kind of a person running um, all of these distribution systems, and usually it runs um, counter to the original ideal of the revolution. And you end up with people kind of right back to where they started, uh, and then the only difference is the, you know, the people running the show and how much control they have or how little control they have, all those kind of things. Um, so, you know, all that to say that, uh, communism isn't really the magic bullet that it kind of, I don't want to say has been portrayed as, but has, de like, there's definitely a growing, or if not, a steady, uh, trying to think of, I'm trying not to just, you know, Trying to think of good words for this. It, it it's really uh, been a prevailing thought, um, because there are a lot of great theoretical uh, aspects to it. Now, I would also argue that communist pressure is a good thing for capitalism because it allows governments to make decisions compromising towards that situation that are better for the society as a whole while uh, having an example to point to of why we don't want to go the whole way. Um, now, there's other problems with, with that competitiveness, but uh, I would say, largely speaking, uh, it does have its advantages to have that counterexample. Um, because, I mean, there aren't really a ton of great counterexamples, uh, beyond, obviously, China at the, but it's not even really, um, communism anymore from, from that end of things. They're kind of, they've rebranded, if you want to, uh, put it that way. It's a, it's a different form. It's not necessarily... 
what you would call like communism communism it's really moving towards socialism with an authoritarian uh control so um there's definitely advantages to having a counterexample but they're not great uh overall and it's uh it's definitely not the solution to all the world's problems it's probably not even the solution to many of the world's problems uh and i i don't think we have a lot of historic data to back up the fact that it it uh actually solves any problems at all so with that i'm going to end this one thanks for listening and i'm going to roll the outro If you enjoyed this episode of Economy 99, please consider sharing this with your friends. If you don't have any friends, well, now is as good a time as any to find some. To stay up to date on new episode releases, you can follow me on Twitter at Economy99Pod. That's Economy99POD. If you'd like to reach out to suggest a future topic or to ask questions, You can reach out on Twitter or email the show at economy99podcast at gmail.com. Really trying to make these names as simple as possible for you folks. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it.